Hello and welcome to the Speaking for Him podcast. I, as always, am your host, Andrew Gamison. I'm super excited that you have chosen to join us today. If it's your first time here, welcome, welcome, welcome. We want to be a resource for those who are on the journey of the Christian life. And if you are returning to listen to us and have been with us for some time, you know that admonishing and encouraging those who are on the Christian journey is what I'm all about here at Speaking for Him. And we are one week away from our 10th anniversary of doing this. It was October 12th of 2012 when the first episode of the Speaking for Him podcast was released. And October 12th, 2022 is when the 10th anniversary podcast will be released. We've been going through the highlights of the Speaking for Him podcast over the past decade in these last several weeks. And we're going to continue to do that today with clips from two more episodes, which I think you will really enjoy and resonate with, and hopefully we'll check out the full episodes. One of them is from an episode titled The Testimony I Never Wanted, which was a conversation with Amy Blackwell, um, who I've got to tell you, I listen to Unshackled every week, and I hear stories of God changing lives. Well, I heard Amy Blackwell's story, and it really resonated with me in a special way for some reason, so I looked her up, after the show, found out that she was into podcasting as well. And long story short, I asked her to make an appearance on the Speaking for Him podcast. She agreed, and we had a wonderful conversation, which I hope that you will avail yourself of in the future. But there's a little clip of it today. And then I have a little clip from a podcast I did a few months ago about womanhood from a biblical perspective because we were celebrating uh, National Women's History Month at the time. And I thought it was good for us to go back to the Bible for a perspective on womanhood. And so I hope that those two clips will encourage you. And as we draw closer to our 10th anniversary show, just please make sure that if you have any content that you want to suggest for that show, whether you want to make a suggestion about your favorite podcast or whether you want to make a comment on my voicemail. Remember, I have that voicemail page from speakpipe.com, speakpipe.com slash speaking the number for him. That's speakpipe.com slash speaking the number for him. And you can just leave a simple voicemail from that page on your device. And I hope to get some emails this week as well. Um, so you can either email me or you can send that voicemail and I would love to share that feedback on the show. This show is really about uh, having a platform for people to share their stories. That's why I'm so excited about Amy's and it's also a platform to encourage the believers in the areas where they need to be encouraged. So I really appreciate feedback and you can even use that voicemail link or my email to give me show ideas as we go into the second decade of service, Lord willing, on the Speaking for Him podcast. Well, with all that being said, I want to introduce today's topic. We are continuing on in our Unique Attributes of Christianity series, and so we will be addressing uh, the issue of the proper use of power. And what greater example do we have of the proper use of power than the Lord Jesus Christ himself? 
Uh, he was the all-powerful creator God, and yet he acquiesced to enter a human body, not just for the time that he was on earth, but for eternity. My Bible tells me that I will be looking on him who I have pierced. So we will see him in bodily form in eternity, and it's all because of his willingness to not lay aside his power, because he still was all-powerful, he still was 100% God, but to choose to deny himself the privilege of using his power in the way we would think he should, and instead use his power in a way that serves us, in a way that makes us better, because we didn't have a way to make ourselves better. So as we dig into this study on the proper use of power, we need to look to our example, uh, the Lord Jesus. Peter says it this way, that the Lord left us an example that we should follow in his steps. So I'm really excited to unpack that with you. But first, I want to talk about what is going on. Well, my thoughts and prayers, first of all, are with the people who are dealing with the aftermath of Hurricane Ian. One of the things I'm very happy about as I consider uh, the disaster that is Hurricane Ian is that they have Governor DeSantis on their side. The left-wing media is playing Monday morning quarterback when it comes to Florida Governor Ron DeSantis' Hurricane Ian response. Some in the media are claiming the governor's evacuation efforts, specifically in Lee County, fell short. But DeSantis is standing by his decisions, and he pushed back at one CNN reporter who questioned his choices. Why do you stand behind Lee County's decision to not have that mandatory evacuation until the day before the storm? Well, did you, where was your industry stationed uh, when the storm hit? Were you guys in Lee County? No, you were in Tampa. So that's, you know, they were following the weather track and um, they had to make decisions based on that. Kaylee, just destroying that reporter with facts and figures. Yeah, with facts that you can't deny. Look, as a lifelong Floridian, I've lived through these storms. You see them change. Charlie, for instance, was supposed to hit Tampa Bay hours before, shifts to Port Charlotte. Number two, you have to balance factors. Um, mass evacuations can cause mass problems and headaches. We saw that with Hurricane Rita, where there's a 2.5 million person traffic jam. You can't just evacuate the entire state. Um, but number three, and just quickly, the governor's team put together a nearly five minute video you can watch on his Rumble account of all of the times he said evacuate, mm-hmm. stay safe uh, the eye can shift he said on September 25th, September 26th be safe, finalize storm preparation September 27th, we have shelters open everywhere um, he talks about Southwest Florida evacuating literally you can watch five minutes of this so Maggie Haberman, enough with the tweet, journalists, enough with the blame game this is purely politics as they try to down someone who's been touted as a presidential candidate and that's sad, it is sick to play politics on the backs of hurricane victims. But that is what is happening. Go watch the five-minute video. That's right. And Lisa, your girls, Joy Squared, weighed in as well. <laughs> Gosh. Where they, they also decided... I'm sure to... she did, Emily. <laughs> <laughs> Both of them. Right, check it out. We'll get your thoughts on the other side. <laughs> Isn't it socialism when the, the government helps you? Uh, and, um, this is the quote from Governor DeSantis yeah. about climate change. Quote, I am not in the pews of the church of the global warming leftists. 
This is what he thinks about climate change. And now his state is getting hit with one of the worst hurricanes well, that perhaps, Plano will ever see. It's not even executive leadership. He is simply, all he has to do now is open up his arms and receive federal money. Let's just be clear. That is the executive leadership. He's now got to go hat in hand to Joe Biden for aid. Right. It's something he didn't even believe in as a Tea Partier. <laughs> What is she talking about? <laughs> There's not enough time to, show, to part without those comments. I, Which I, time do we I have? Can't. Exactly. <laughs> to pull my hair out now or, or later. Uh, for Joy Behar, there is a Category 3 in Florida in 1851. So, you know, you might want to retract your idiotic <laughs> statement. Uh, you know, look... I, 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 what this shows to me is there's nothing else to attack Governor DeSantis on, besides the fact he's not a fortune teller. And as he was pointing out, even CNN, everyone was following the models, and they thought Tampa might be, you know, in, in, in worst hit, right? So that's where they were located. And what people forget is it's up to local officials to give out uh, these. Mm-hmm. They're, they're, they're the ones that are supposed to give us these warnings, the evacuation warnings. Uh, secondly, Governor DeSantis mentioned at least seven times in the three days prior to landfall, warning people on the Gulf Coast, telling them to heed evacuation orders. And what people don't understand is for evacuation orders, you don't have the police going around door to door, pulling people out of their homes. It's up to you. It's up to you to decide. And thankfully, what we had with the DeSantis administration is even before and after just a well executed machine of getting out what we need to do to save people and now in the process of saving lives. And since I've become a Floridian, I have got to know Governor DeSantis well and his team as well. He is one of the most competent people I've ever met in my entire life, not even just for a politician, period. The man is brilliant. He is organized and that speaks for his team as well. We as Floridians could not be in better hands than with Governor DeSantis. Let me first of all say that it's ridiculous for the liberal left to blame the fact of this hurricane on a rejection of many of the liberal climate change talking points. First of all, climate does change. That's a fact of life. It always has, and it always will. That's because God is in control, and he makes changes in the climate. But to say that the hurricane is a direct result of the rejection of liberal climate change theory is just naive. Florida has had hurricanes all through its history and it will continue to have hurricanes because of the location in which it is. So I I think now is not the time for political grandstanding. Now is the time to get people the help that they need. And so we need to be aware of that. The other thing I want to mention is He was called out for not enforcing evacuation orders on the hardest-hit areas until 24 hours before landfall. And he pointed out to the reporter that the original thought was that Tampa Bay would be the hard-hit area. So the media lines up in the most plausible place for hard-hitting action. That's how they cover scenarios like this and so they were following the weather protocol that said this is going to go toward tampa when in fact it changed and did not go through tampa primarily then they changed their tune and said why didn't you know about this as if he should know so much more than they did about a natural phenomenon over which nobody has control so I think that Governor DeSantis is the right man for this job. I think that political grandstanding is horrible in cases like this. 
and it just adds credence to how put together and how ready Ron DeSantos was for these eventualities. Another thing that was mentioned in this clip is how he had a five-minute video listing all the times that he told people to make preparations, prepare for this hurricane, and if necessary, evacuate. The point was made that you can't evacuate the whole state at once. If you did, it would just lead to traffic jams on the highway and no one would get out. So we need to have a reality check and have a right perspective of the things going on. This is not to mention the fact that although there was a lot of damage and there have been people that have passed away, uh, this has not been the most devastating hurricane. Katrina still ranks higher than this in mass devastation. Does that make this devastation great? No. But again, perspective is warranted, and my prayers are with the people of Florida. The next story that I want to relate is sadly related to this because Kamala Harris talking about using this for political spin and political gain tried to make this about race. Hello everyone, this is Outnumbered. I'm Kaylee McEnany here with my co-host Emily Campagno and Harris Faulkner. Also joining us, Lisa Booth and David Webb on this Monday afternoon. Now to our top story, Vice President Kamala Harris's controversial remarks suggesting Hurricane Ian relief efforts should be prioritized based on race. You heard me right. As people in Florida are reeling from the devastation with hundreds of thousands still without power, wondering how to get on to the next day, many don't even have usable drinking water. Many more don't even have a place to call home. But they tune in and listen to our vice president, who thought it was a good time to say this. Our um, lowest income communities and our communities of color that are most impacted by these extreme conditions and and impacted by by issues that are not of their own making and, and so women. we absolutely and so we have to address this in a way that is about giving resources based on equity i could not believe when i heard this harris um when those floodwaters are rising when your home is destroyed when you potentially lose a family member, as some did. Yeah. The last thing you were thinking about is race. And at a time when America came together, perhaps one of the most unifying times in our country is after a natural disaster, when the whole country comes together, she chooses to invoke such hateful, divisive race-based rhetoric. It's amazing. I tell you, first of all, I got a little bit of a lecture on the Faulkner Focus from Will Kane, who reminded me that this is about morality. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, it, it, he was baseline right. And that's why it's so offensive to us. Because on a very moral basis, you're going to want to help your fellow Americans, no matter what they look like. Um, I don't know how she lost that in her frontline focus. It's in the rearview mirror for her. But you know what, Kaylee? This was the first time that I really got a taste of what it would be like if she ran for president. Mm-hmm. And I thought, mm-hmm. maybe now she does think she's going to be running. Because what she's doing is she's following Biden's footsteps in terms of dividing us along a racial line for votes. Remember, if you are black, if you are black, you would vote for him. If you don't vote for him, you are not black. So if you want to help people of Florida, help the people of color first, you really have a heart. 
That's real compassion. That's what she's saying. Tacitly, that is what she's saying. Not that we're all the same and deserve love. That's, I guess that's what it would look like if Kamala Harris thought she could get the P instead of the VP. Right. <laughs> she had a chance yeah. to clean it up, David. Let's take a look to see if she did. Um, I'll give you a hint. She didn't. <laughs> Aw. President, can you clarify what you meant about equity for hurricane relief? Okay, so here we have the Vice President of the United States coming on TV and telling people, a national audience, that they need to prioritize relief efforts based on the color of people's skin. Now, the first problem with this is that we have come to a place in our culture, and we've talked about this seemingly ad nauseum, that everything comes down to race. And the bottom line is that we can't have a unified America if everything comes down to race. I've thought ever since Barack Obama became president, uh, the, the racial tensions have been ratcheted up. You would have thought that a black man becoming the leader of the free world would have solidified to people how far we've come in America, but instead uh, it is unleashed in a level of reverse racism such as I never expected to see. Here's one of the biggest problems with her statement. The hardest hit areas of Florida for this hurricane are actually in some better to do areas. So these areas are to be denied relief because the people in them don't happen to be predominantly black. I mean, that's my first statement. The second statement that I would make is that just because you aren't a person of color doesn't mean you don't have needs. I, I, I hate to totally backtrack, but I think a good example is a conversation that I had with some Potter's House students a couple of years ago when I was teaching there, and they brought up the issue of white privilege, and we were just sitting in study hall, so it gave me an opportunity to talk to them about it because they were talking about how bad white privilege was. And I said, well, you need to be careful about the way that you discuss white privilege, because as a construct on its own, it doesn't really exist. And I gave them the example of my own life, how if you looked at my life from the outside, you might consider me someone of white privilege, because I have two parents that love one another, I have a father that makes a good living, he's always taken care of me, and... You know, I have a loving family all around me, and those are definitely things that I believe God has blessed me with and I'm thankful for. But if you break it down further, you find that nothing's guaranteed because I'm white. And you see the fact that even though I'm white, I have never held a full-time job. Even though I'm, you know, several years out of college, and... I have yet to have a wife or a girlfriend, um, and I've had struggles in career and my personal life directly related to my disability and the things that people think they know or don't want to know about me. And so to simply base my opportunities for success on my race are short-sighted. I have faced discrimination at many turns in my life, 
and it has nothing to do with my skin color. It has to do with other factors. So when you when you break this down and you say it's all about race, you're eliminating every other factor of struggle that people have. And I think that is sad and it's a problem in our country that we need to continue to battle against. Everybody in Florida who is affected by this hurricane deserves help regardless of their skin color and we need to do our best whatever we can do to get Florida back up and running. And I and I really do believe that we will. I know there was a headline that I saw as I was preparing for this podcast talking about thousands of people without power, and there probably are several people still without power. So we need to pray for them that they get power back and are able to resume normal life as much as possible. But I also saw in the comments of some of these videos that I watched in preparation how impressed some of the people in Florida are with how fast they did see a return of their power and that they feel that Governor DeSantis is doing a very efficient job in the face of this natural disaster. So that is encouraging, and I just think we need to have a a renewed perspective on the value of everyone and not single people out on the basis of something like race. We need to be unified. We need to help one another. Uh, we need to return, as I've said many times on this podcast, to the world of September 12th, 2001, where everybody was looking out for everybody. And the most important thing was that we were America and we were unified and we were together. And we wanted to do our best to pray that God would help us through the great tragedy of 9-11. And surely he did. And we need to have a similar attitude when we think about God leading us through this tragedy of Hurricane Ian. And again, my prayers and my thoughts are most definitely with all of the people involved. My final uh, news story of the day comes from my own home state of Michigan. Michigan State Police are investigating the shooting of an 83-year-old pro-life volunteer in Ionia County. 13 on your side's Carla Byron has an update now on how the woman's doing and if politics may have been the motive. The 83-year-old pro-life volunteer is in good spirits despite being shot in the back. She wants to remain anonymous while the criminal investigation continues. No one should be threatened like this, shot at, potentially killed for exercising their their freedom of speech. The volunteer was going door to door on Bipley Road in Lake Odessa, passing out materials about Proposal 3, the abortion ballot initiative, and encouraging people to vote no. One of the ladies that lived at the house got upset and started screaming at her. Um, and then this volunteer walked away, was walking back to her car, and... A man from the house came out and shot her in the back. The woman was shot in the back shoulder. She drove herself to the police station to report the shooting and then was driven to the hospital. 911 dispatch audio seems to show the homeowner called 911 after the shot was fired. Lady on her property that won't leave, no idea who she is. She drove on her grass, wants her to sign some type of position. 
Now it sounds like the caller's husband shot at her and nicked her with a bullet and she's bleeding. We'll be starting medical. Visser says the volunteer was not threatening the homeowner. Neither did she have a weapon. No one should be shot at for sharing what they believe in and just trying to educate their community. This won't deter us from continuing to educate people on Proposal 3 and why it's so dangerous. Um, it is that important that we will continue to have our volunteers go out safely and peacefully. Police haven't confirmed if the homeowner's husband was triggered over the volunteer's pro-life beliefs or if it was because the volunteer wouldn't leave his property. I could probably try to do some research and see if there's like a group for this. This is over politics. The Aonia County prosecutor says everyone involved has been interviewed and the firearm involved has been seized. Reporting in Lake Odessa, Carla Byron, 13 on your side. First of all, Proposal 3 is a very scary proposal. I talked about it a little bit on last week's show, but I just want to remind you that Proposal 3 actually takes a lot of pro-life restrictions on abortion that have been in place even when Roe versus Wade was active, uh, and, and nixes them. Things like parental consent, things like, uh, being able to monitor for coercion under the Michigan coercion law. These things would be known void if Proposal 3 passes. So that's a very scary thing. The next thing I wanted to say is about this story in particular. This woman, first of all, she's an 83 year old woman. And she's going door-to-door explaining to people about the dangers of Proposal 3. And then she gets shot by this homeowner who I guess claimed that he felt like his wife was being threatened by the pro-lifer. But in this story that we just heard, we heard that she was shot as she was walking away from the situation as she was walking to her car, presumably to go on to the next place where she was going to talk to people about this important issue. And so it's hard to say he did this on accident um, or even that he felt overly threatened by this woman if she was literally walking away and had her back to him as he shot her. So I don't know all the details. All I know is that this uh, pro-life issue is such a volatile, um, polarizing issue. And it's it's sad in a way because I think that human life is very evident. We have technology that shows us that human life begins um, earlier than we've ever thought that it did. Uh, we have way more resources to save a baby. Babies are being born uh, way more premature and surviving than ever before. I think the youngest among us have lived at 20 or 21 weeks gestation and continued on, so the age of viability is much lower than the left would have us believe. And it's just sad that people are fighting so arduously for the right to kill their unborn children to the point where they're willing to injure other people who are fighting for the life of said unborn child. We're in a bad place as a nation when this kind of thing uh, is front and center and, and 
brings out so much hate from each person. And I, I, I fail to see how an 83 year old wielding a clipboard could be a threat to this man and his wife. And I hope that he is brought to swift justice. And I hope that this lady has a quick recovery. The bottom line is, uh, we in the pro-life movement at large do not advocate violence and we never would. Uh, but there's so much violence on the other side that it is almost laughable that they consider us, uh, often to be the aggressors. I mean, we all need to love and serve one another and put people above our politics. We really do. And so I hope that, we will learn those lessons and that in the name of the sanctity of human life, that we will show the love of Jesus Christ as we are dealing with these hot button issues. It doesn't mean avoiding these issues. I will never avoid this issue. It's so important to me to get this issue right, but I will never resort to violence. And I don't think it is the answer. Today, we are talking about an attribute of Christianity. Remember, several weeks ago, we started this series, Unique Attributes of Christianity, and I'm going to talk today about a proper view of power. Uh, because in our culture and in the world at large, power is something we all grasp. But a good way to look at the proper use of power is to look at the one and only Son of God and how He used it not to... Lord over everyone, although he had the power to do so as the one and only true God, but to help others. For our quote of the day today, I want to just jump right into our uh, points of discussion. And the first one is Jesus is fully God. For in him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily, Colossians 2.9. And so in this, we see that Jesus was not just a man. He was fully God. And yet, at some point in eternity past, he said to his father, I will go and meet them where they are. This is the only religion, Christianity, where the God in question does that. Every other religion is man trying to reach up to God. And Christianity is actually the acknowledgement that we can't reach up to God and we need him to reach down to us. God's power is reinforced by the fact that God the Son, Jesus, was there at the time of creation. In John 1, 1-3 it says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. And so in this passage we see that uh, Jesus was the Word, and that Word made all things. And so the Godhead cooperated together, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit in creating the world. Remember, they said, let us make man in our image and after our likeness. So they were working together in that way. 
So when you think about the all-powerful God, you think, well, that means he'll do whatever he can to exert authority over us. And that is the picture that some people have of God, that he's just waiting to clobber you when you mess up. Now, obviously, there is a strong element of God in which he is holy and he can't uh, abide sin. But that's why Jesus had to come. And one of the first points about Jesus coming, as we continue on, is that he came to serve. And in Matthew twenty twenty six to 28, we read, But it shall not be so among you, but whosoever will be great among you, let him be your minister. And whosoever will be chief among you, let him be your servant. Even as the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give his life a ransom for many. And so we have this situation where the God of the universe is saying, I came not to be served, but to serve. Jesus could have come down and said, you need to do these 3,000 things for me before I'll even consider you because I'm better than you. And he didn't do that. He came to serve. And he left us that example that leadership is about service when we have surrendered to the Lord Jesus. And then we see that he humbled himself and went to the cross. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men and being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. And that is Philippians 2, 5 to 8. So we see that not only did Jesus come down to earth and acquiesce to be a human, but we also see that despite the fact that he realized that the only remedy for sin was to die on the cross for us, he did not flinch. He did not turn away. Uh, He knew that he needed to go to Jerusalem, even though his disciples tried to stop him. When He told his disciples at one point, I'm going to be betrayed into the hands of sinful men. I'm going to be crucified, and then I'm going to rise again the third day. Peter said, Far be it from you, Lord. And Jesus' response was, Get thee behind me, Satan. Can you imagine being Peter and basically literally being called Satan because of your advice and admonishment to the Son of God? And... We can look at that and say, well, well, Peter had a lot of chutzpah to even think that he could advise the Son of God in that way. But how often have we in our humanity tried to persuade God of what was best rather than simply trusting him to know what is best for us? We need to learn the lesson that is put into these verses that he humbled himself and went to the cross for us. And if he did that, then he knows what we need more than we could ever know it. I, I'm reminded of what the couple on the road to Emmaus said. They're they're sad and discouraged because Jesus died, and he said, well, why are you sad and discouraged? And they're like, don't you know what has happened over the last three days? And they're saying this to the one who knows more than we will ever know what exactly happened on those three days. Remember, he said, Father... Forgive them, for they know not what they do. And then he said, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? 
we will never know what it is like to be truly forsaken by God because Jesus agreed to be forsaken for our benefit. And that should give us a lot of encouragement today. And then what do we learn about power from this? We learn that we should use the power that God gives us not to boss people around, not to make them do what we want them to do, but to lift others up and to do good unto them. We should put others first. Paul wrote, All things are lawful for me, but all things are not expedient. All things are lawful for me, but all things edify not. Let no man seek his own, but every man another's wealth. 1 Corinthians 10, 23, and 24. And then follow up that with, Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in loneliness of mind let each esteem other better than themselves. Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. Philippians 2, 3, and 4. And we see in these two passages the way of leadership. Leadership should be, again, something where we are looking out for the welfare of those under our charge. If you look at Jesus when he led the disciples, he did so with a servant's heart. He wanted to protect them. When he was in the garden and he was being arrested, he said, let these go their way. When he was at the Last Supper and he realized that no one was coming in uh, with water to wash the disciples' feet, he got up and he did the washing of the feet. And it's kind of interesting that at, at this time, when Jesus is about to depart the world, when he's about to battle um, hell for our very livelihoods, for our very futures, the disciples are arguing about who's the greatest. And then Jesus gets up from the table, grabs a towel, and starts washing the disciples' feet. And then he tells us to wash one another's feet. And I don't think it's speaking about the act of washing feet so much as it is about looking for ways to serve one another. So let's review really quickly uh, where we've been today. First of all, we see the proper practice of power is best seen through the eyes of Jesus Christ. And why do we know that Jesus was an example of power under control? Because even though he was a full human who walked on the face of the earth and had every physical feeling that you and I have, we also know that he was fully God. And we talked about how in him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. And so we know that there was nothing lacking in him as far as deity. Some people almost teach it as if he laid aside his deity, um, but he did not. He put his power and his deity in check for the purpose of coming down and being a human and showing us the way to live, but he never relinquished his deity. That's a very important thing that we need to be aware of. Then we talked about him creating the world. He created the world. He created you and me. And so when we were in trouble, he did what he needed to do to redeem us. He was born of a woman after the fullness of time 
to redeem those of us who were under the law, because the law could not save us. And then we see that he came to serve. He didn't come to be served. So many times in in leadership, we can think of it as an opportunity for others to serve us. When people think about the marriage relationship, they think about how great it would be to be served by a spouse. But really, we need to come into each relationship, platonic or romantic, with an attitude that says, how can I make this person's life better for me having been in it? And really, that is something that I have tried to do throughout my life. I believe that Jesus was all about uh, helping and encouraging individuals. And so there's nothing better to me than sitting with my friends and listening to them and hearing what God is doing in their lives and hearing how I might be able to pray for them or serve them in some way because my master served and I want to be like him. And then we hear how he humbled himself and went to the cross that really continues to blow my mind, and I hope that it does for the rest of my life. The fact that the Creator God, uh, the divine starter of the universe, the one who put everything in its place, decided that you and I were worth going to the cross for. Uh, we are to look unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God above. He did that for you and for me. And I am so grateful that I get to talk to you every week about who Jesus is, because that's really what speaking for him is all about. If it wasn't for Jesus... Speaking for him would not still be on the air after a decade. But Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever, and he continues to provide content for this show and to show me what he wants me to talk about so that I can encourage his church. That's really what it's all about. And then we finished up by saying that we should put others first. Again, there's so much emphasis on self-love and self-care in today's society, and that's not all bad. We do need to take care of ourselves. As a matter of fact, Jesus said, love your neighbor as yourself, so he definitely didn't expect us not to love ourselves because he's, he's giving us a point of comparison to love our neighbors as we do ourselves. He says that a man should love his wife as he loves his own body, so there's definitely a comparison there as well. But the lesson for us is, whereas the world might say, put yourself before others and don't care what they think, God says, no, we should put others first and we should care what they think. And and the way that they are affected by what we do should affect what we do. And so we saw that even if something is permissible for us to do, maybe we shouldn't do it because it would be better for those around us if we refrain. And I, I really think that that's where we need to come down on some of the questionable, quote-unquote, activities of society that 
we ask, well, should I partake in this? Or, or rather, can I partake in this as a Christian? And that really shouldn't be your question. Your question should be, how does this edify those around me? And if there's a reason why it doesn't, or a reason why it would be a stumbling block, then it's probably worth avoiding. And then we saw that we should look on others' things, the things going on in other people's lives, and put those before ourselves. And it's just such a 180 from what the world says, but ultimately it will make for better relationships and better uh, life when we put others ahead of ourselves. Um, Selfishness is actually very dangerous and can be very detrimental. But when we put others first, God will bless that. That's the example that Jesus left us because we're told that when we were yet without strength, Christ died for the ungodly. I think it's interesting that Jesus said, greater love has no man than this, than a man lay down his life for his friends. And yet he was one who laid down his life for his enemies. So we can learn much again from our master. Well, I hope that you have benefited from this study about the proper use of power and how it should be viewed from a Christian perspective. If you are enjoying uh, this series and these podcasts, please make sure that you let your family and friends know where to listen or even share the podcast with them. This podcast is always available as a download from my website, www.speakingforhim.com. Dot com, And I just wanted to let you know a little housekeeping. I am trying to put my audio content in more categories as time goes on to make it easier for you to find the myriad of content that is on my site. So make sure that you check out the search options so that you can uh, look for different things. Like, for instance, I do have playlists now for the two seasons of reviews I did on the Chosen TV series. So seasons one and two have their own playlist. You can just um, look under series, the Chosen season one or the Chosen season two, and find those episodes that way. And there will be more playlists coming soon as I continue to, to tweak things on there. So please make sure that you avail yourself of that audio And please make sure that you share this audio content with others so that they can experience the peace and joy of knowing Christ and the encouragement to continue to walk with him closely. As it says in Hebrews, we are to exhort one another to love and good works and so much more as we see the day approaching. And Lord willing, I will continue to do this uh, for many years to come if the Lord is so gracious. Well, before I say goodbye, I just wanted to share with you a couple more clips from the Speaking for Him scrapbook. It has truly been a delight to share some clips with you, and I hope to share more next week as we are going into the 10th anniversary. You can have a part in that. Please let me know what it is that you would like to hear uh, on the show when you contact me with the contact information that will roll at the end. Um, But today, 
I have, first of all, a clip from my friend Amy Blackwell, who, as I said earlier, I interviewed her after hearing her on Unshackled. She has a powerful story of living a perfectionistic uh, childhood and then realizing that she can only be perfect through the one who died for her, Jesus Christ. So here's a little clip from her talking about that struggle. One thing that came out when I listened to your story on Unshackled, and you kind of alluded to it in the first answer, was how important perfectionism was to you and that the idea was put forth that uh, being perfect, in essence, was the way to please God. And Mm -hmm. we know that that's not possible from a human perspective, but talk about how that began in your life and what, what made that dangerous for you? Oh gosh. Yeah. Looking back now, it's very obvious, but, um, no, growing up, I, uh, you know, I had my earthly father who, if I did all these things good and to the best of my ability, I received praise. So, um, you know, I, I love God and I, I got saved when I was about 10 years old and, um, but I always struggled with, am I saved? Am I really saved? Did I say it right? And so it was at a young age that I constantly, um, was making, you know, am I good enough? And so I would, um, look at other people's lives and I would go, okay, well, I don't want to do that. I'll never do that. So God, I'm going to show you that. I'll be better than everybody else. Like I'm going to, I'm going to prove to you that I'm, I'm, I'm better. I'm, I'm worthy, I guess could, I could say. Um, so yeah, it's constant panic. It was like, I would get nervous if uh, there was a song that would come on that was worldly. I mean, I, I would get panicky about, okay, well, should I watch this? Should I not watch this? And this started at a young age. And so, but because my daddy was so strict on so many things, um, you know, if we left the house and if my mom went shopping and bought something she shouldn't, it was just, just a constant panic. Like, okay, I have to do this to be in right standing with my, my daddy on, you know, my earthly father. So I was constantly in panic. Like I need to do this, this, and this, and this for, for God to look at me and be pleased with me. And because at a young age, I, I really, that's all I cared about was pleasing God and doing what he wanted me to do while I was here on earth and I talk about um, David in the book um, and David was somebody I looked up to. And even though he had messed up so much, David did um, later on in life, I would look at his story and I thought, well, it's different um, because of, I guess, David and God's relationship. But um, yeah, it just, it created this. Um, <laughs> I knew I was saved. But I did not understand what grace truly was because I never could accept it. Um, and I thought I had to, I had to work for it. So obviously this dramatically affected your relationship with God. It's interesting that you brought up David, uh, because with all of his failures, he is still referred to in the book of Acts after he's been gone for hundreds of years as a man after God's own heart. Mm-hmm. Um, and so what an encouragement that is to us. And it's, it's really sad that as you were growing up, you couldn't see that God had the same view of you through Jesus. 
So there you have just a little clip from the first part of the testimony I never wanted, which is episode 436 of the Speaking for Him podcast. If you want to look into the archives and listen to this powerful show, it's actually two parts, so it's followed up with by 437, which completes her testimony. Um, but Amy was gracious in allowing me to share her story, and she and I have become quite good friends over texting as a result of this. And so it's just really exciting to see how God has expanded my reach and my friend group through this podcast and given me the powerful opportunity to share these amazing stories of his grace. The next clip I want to share with you today is from episode 494, and this was from an episode that I titled Womanhood, A Biblical Perspective. Everything else was created by being spoken into existence, but we will read, if we were to read on to Genesis chapter 2, we know that man was created from the dust of the earth, that God formed us. He didn't speak us into existence. He formed us and then breathed into our nostrils the breath of life. And the second part especially, God created man in his own image, and the image of God created he him. Male and female created he them. That's why when we discuss these issues of uh, sexuality and of God's plan, for men and women, we need to remember that, that God created you a man for a purpose. Or if you are a woman, God created you a woman for a purpose. He doesn't make mistakes. And each of our individual characteristics as a man or a woman are meant to complement others. You know, we, we talk about the body of Christ and how every person in the body of Christ has different skills, but working together, they make one body. And we often talk about that in terms of spiritual gifts, but the physical attributes that men and women have, the, the emotional attributes that men and women have are a part of this process as well. So there you have a clip from episode 494, Womanhood, A Biblical Perspective. And the reason uh, that I made this episode really comes to the heartbeat of speaking for him, because as I sat there and was witnessing Women's History Month, I was realizing that in a lot of ways in our culture, we miss the true significance of what it means for people to be men and women. Because God made you as a divine expression of his creativity. And so there's nothing bad about being a man. There's nothing bad about being a woman. Being who God made us to be is the way to true fulfillment. Jesus said, I've come to give you life and life more abundant. And that abundant life is found through the blueprint of his word. And the main reason for the formation of Speaking for Him in 2009 and later this podcast in 2012 was to trumpet the truth that God knew what he was doing when he created mankind and put him in a family to cultivate future generations and to lift up societies and to establish governments. All these things come from the hand of God as his gifts to us. And so I, I hope that these things have encouraged you. Again, I hope that you'll look in the archives for these two episodes and that 
They will be a blessing to you. I'm super excited that the next time I am with you will be when we celebrate our 10th anniversary as a podcast. I could not be more excited to have Adam McNutt and hopefully some other guests along with me as well. But we'll just have to see how that shakes out. I hope that you will each join me next week and that you will tell your friends. And then above all, you will have a wonderful week and keep serving the best of masters. Thank you for listening to today's episode. Your host has been Andrew Gomison, founder of Speaking for Him. For more information on today's show and to leave us comments and voicemails, visit speakingforhim.blogspot.com. You can find Andrew's ministry at speakingforhim.com. That's speaking, the number four, H-I-M. You can also interact with us at facebook.com slash speakingforhim and on Twitter at Speaking for Him. And when you look for us on iTunes and Stitcher, let us know what you think of the podcast by leaving a rating and review. 